Hello, welcome to today's talk entitled Missing Reports and Reluctant Witnesses. So much of what occurs in Bucks Row is based on often incomplete information. And here we have several such issues. So today we will look at the following. The possible publication date and time of the remarkable statement by Paul in Lloyd's Weekly News. At which was the earliest report of two men finding the body of Nichols first before the police? Was it really Lloyd's Weekly News? We will look at the police statement of the second, where Neil denies being called to the body. Does such a denial apply to an earlier report, or does it apply to the Lloyd's Weekly report, as is commonly claimed? Could Mism have been influenced by an earlier report? We should also look at the report Mizan must have produced after the murder. It does not seem to have been understood and possibly not even seen by the J detectives, given the comments they made on Sunday. We should look at the fact that Mizan may have been out of town at the weekend, that Paul may have been located earlier than is suggested by some commentators, that Lechmere may actually have come forward much earlier than suspected, or if he didn't come forward and he was summoned, then he may have been summoned earlier than suspected. That the police realised Mizzen made a mistake in his testimony when he says that he was called by another policeman. This explains why Paul was not questioned at the inquest, and why the police report of the 19th of September ignores that part of Mizzen's testimony. We should also look at possible reasons for Lechmere to come forward. So first, our first port of call is Lloyd's Weekly News. Now here we see the subheadline which is carried for this edition published on the 2nd of September, which refers to Bucks Row. We can see it says special Sunday edition containing all of yesterday's news, and it says Sunday morning. The edition for the ninth says exactly the same. But when we turn to the edition of the 30th, the morning of the double event, the heading significantly changes. It becomes extra special Sunday edition, Sunday noon. Now, for some time, it was argued that Lloyd's was an evening paper. I think now it's generally accepted that it wasn't and that it was a morning paper. And this subheading above appears to confirm that it was not an evening paper. We therefore need to look at actual copies of Lloyd's Weekly News to see if we can gain any more information. Fortunately, copies of the paper are held at the British Newspaper Archive and the British Library. 
and here it becomes much clearer. Some weeks the special Sunday edition headline is carried and some it does not. Does this mean that such was not always printed or does it mean it was only printed in editions that were not the standard edition? The edition carried by the British newspaper archive for the 30th of September 1888, the double event, provides the answer. It actually does not carry the extra special Sunday edition heading present on the casebook transcription. But more importantly, it does not make any mention of the double event at all. It therefore seems abundantly clear that the edition on the British Newspaper Archive website is an earlier edition. Probably the third edition I will mention below, written before the murders had even taken place. Whilst a copy on Casebook is from a later edition. It is therefore probable that the early editions carried no information about which actual edition the paper was, but later editions did. We have seen some transcriptions say special Sunday edition and Sunday morning, and some say extra special Sunday edition and Sunday noon. This information is normally carried on the front page of the paper. In an attempt to clear this up, we undertook some further research. We found the following article tucked away inside the pages of Lloyd's Weekly News for the 30th of September. I suggest that it is fair to assume the same was true for previous dates, including the 2nd of September edition. And here we are. Sorry if it's not that clear, but this is the best we can do, but I shall just tell you what it says. This edition, the first, is published on Thursday for the continent and distant parts only and it ought not to be sold in other places. There is a second edition issued on Friday morning for remote districts of the United Kingdom, but the best for all parts of England is the third edition, published on Saturday morning in time for the early trains. This is delivered to nearly all places within 200 miles of London before noon on Saturday. We will then go on down slightly and it says the greatest pains are taken to make the third edition of Lloyd's perfect for the country. All the news and telegrams down to two o'clock on Saturday morning being given. This is important, we shall pass on to it now. Given that the article specifically states that all news up until 2 a.m. Saturday is included in the third edition, and the murder of Polly Nichols took place at 3.40-ish, 3.45, 4 o'clock, on the 31st, Friday the 31st of August, it is not only possible for the Saturday edition to have carried the full story, it seems highly probable that it did. However, and this is important, I must point this out here and now, that despite extensive searching, 
I have been unable to locate a copy of the third edition for this weekend and therefore cannot confirm that it was carried in the third edition. And so what follows must be treated with a degree of caution. If such is the case that it was published on the Saturday, the police could have known of Paul by the early hours of the 1st of September, certainly by the afternoon. On the other hand, one must, of course, note that the lack of any other Saturday evening paper carrying this account argues against that possibility. However, the Paul account is carried on page seven, which seems out of the way for such a sensational story, especially if this is a story that has been sat on by the paper since Friday. The Chapman murder, for instance, is carried on the front page. Page seven also carries a very large selection on the opening of the inquest on the first. Such obviously could not have been printed in the third edition, but could easily have been added to the Sunday morning edition, which we know this was. It should also be noted that while much of page seven relates to the Nichols murder, the various articles are broken up by other articles that do not relate to the murder. We now move the issue of whether or not there was an earlier report than the Lloyd's report, which mentioned that two men found the body before the police. And it appears there was. On Friday the 31st of August, the Star newspaper apparently carried what amounts to a garbled version of Paul's Lloyd's account. Unfortunately, no edition carrying that story appears to have survived. But fortunately for us, several regionals carried the story on Saturday the 1st of September, including the Sunderland Daily Echo, the Shields Daily Gazette, and the Edinburgh, Evening, Edinburgh Evening News. The important lines are as follows, with a couple of words missed out because that's what the transcription gives us. In front of this gateway, a woman was found by two men who first supposed her to be drunk, but on closer inspection, showed first a pool of blood in the gutter just before her, and then the deathly whiteness of the woman's face stained with blood. One of them remained with her, while the other found Constable Neil. Let us now attempt to compare the two reports, that in the Star and in Lloyd's Weekly News. In the Star, two men find the body in Bucks Row. In Lloyd's Weekly News, again, two men find the body in Bucks Row. This is the same, and it's possibly, if not probably, a common source. The Star does not give any details about the men whatsoever. Lloyd's Weekly News implies the men are on their way to work. Although the Star is far less specific, both reports say that the men are in Bucks Row 
prior to PC New arriving. This again suggests a common source. In the star, the two men are not sure at first of the condition of the woman. She's possibly drunk. In Lloyd's Weekly News, they're not sure if she's dead or drunk. Again, probable common source. We now have a divergence of views here. In the star, it says that as the men get closer to the woman, they see a pool of blood in the gutter and blood on her face. In Lloyd's Weekly News, no blood is seen at all. This is very different in both reports, and it suggests a garbled report in my view. In the star, the first man goes to find a policeman. The other remains with the body. In Lloyd's Weekly News, Paul goes to find a policeman, leaving the second man with the body. Very much similar. One man goes for the police, but one is left by the body. Again, probably a common source. And then the first man in the star, the first man returns to second man with a named police officer, PC Neal. In Lloyd's Weekly News, Paul walks west along Bucks Row. He meets a policeman at the junction of Old Montague and Hanbury. He tells, of, tells him of a woman in Bucks Row, but he does not take him there or name him. In Lloyd's, one man goes to find a policeman. This policeman is unnamed. He tells him what has occurred, but the policeman does not show any urgency in going back towards Bucks Row. In the star, the first man takes the policeman, this time he's named as PC Neal, back to the body and the second man. This suggests a garbled report in my view. It is said by some researchers that the statement made on the 2nd of September, which is attributed to Paul, refers to denying Lloyd's account, not the Star account. There are, however, many issues with this interpretation. One of which are comments made by Paul himself after day one of the inquest, which clearly say the policeman he mentions in the Lloyd's report, which traditionally has not yet been published, was not the officer on the beat in Bucks Row. We shall return to these comments by Robert Paul in greater detail in due course. Now, let's have a quick look here and see whether or not the statement on the second could refer to Lloyd's logically. Well, Mizzen's missing reports of events must get close to the, to the events. He must say he was approached and told the woman lying in Buck's row. Now, the senior officers in J Division should be aware of this, particularly if they're trying to say that, that the story isn't true, the story in Lloyd's is not true, because Mizzen should have written a report about it. What it does suggest to me is that the reports were at least not well read, if not read at all, by the officers in J Division, but on the Sunday. Why is that? And the Lloyd's account does not say a police officer's called to the body, and it does not mention the name of PC Neal. 
Again, it doesn't seem to refer to the Lloyds account. However, the Star account does mention Neil by name and says he is called to the body. Then we have, as I mentioned before, in the special Sunday edition, we have comments made by Robert Paul at the end of the day while the inquest, where he says the officer that he and the other man spoke to was not the officer for the Bucks Row beat. Now, if the officer was not Neil, and it's being said very clearly in the same paper that the officer was not the man whose beat it was on, how can the statement possibly relate to Lloyd's? Does the star account possibly have a bearing on Mizzen's missing report? We do not know, but it may well do. It is entirely possible that Mizzen had read or at least heard of the star account before he wrote his report and thus may have made a link. Given this story gave the name of the first PC to the body as Neil, the very PC he had found in attendance at the body, he may very reasonably be in the logically have assumed the two men in the report were the same two men who approached him and that Neil had asked them to contact any officer they saw. Indeed, it is possible that he could have referenced the star information in his missing report, particularly if he did mention being summoned in his report, but we simply do not and cannot know. However, it's also fairly clear that the senior officers in J Division had no knowledge of his version of events on the second. And indeed the comments attributed to him on the second that he had seen no one to draw attention also support the theory that he had not mentioned being summoned by another officer at this stage. Why Mizzen had not spoken to not spoken to Neil and why the senior officers were unaware of his count, we don't know. However, we may have an answer. New research in the form of oral family history, which of course must be taken with caution, suggests that Jonas Meisen was not in London from the morning of Saturday the 1st until late on Sunday the 2nd of September. The final mission reports are police records specifically those relating to the questioning of Robert Paul. We know from his own statement in Lloyd's Weekly News that he was questioned. However, no record exists as such, but no one suggests that didn't occur. Charles Lechmere, again, there is no record of him being questioned, but surely he was. It is argued that a lack of such report on Lechmere or reference to it means that he was not questioned. Let's just sum up this first part of missing reports. It is not at all surprising that Mizzen's initial report no longer survives. Few of any of this type do. I'm not aware of any. But it would be fascinating to know if he mentioned Robert Paul in his, his report to the coroner, and if he mentioned being wanted by another officer. 
One can only hope that a copy of the third edition of Lloyd's Weekly News turns up. Such would clearly answer some of the questions I have raised today. The Star Report is quoted in regionals on the first. That it is missing means some can argue it never existed and attempt to dismiss its significance. It seems likely that denial on the second applies, in my opinion, applies more to this report than to Lloyd's. The police reports from Hall and Lechmere, or the lack of them, are a classic example of absence of evidence does not mean evidence of absence. We shall now move on to the section I refer to as reluctant witnesses. It is claimed that both carmen, that's Robert Paul and Charles Lechmere, are reluctant witnesses. But is this actually so? It's claimed by the pro-Lechmere theorists that Lechmere cannot possibly come forward or be found by the police until, until sometime late on the 2nd of September. The argument being he only comes forward because of Paul's account. Of course, Paul's account provides no more useful information to the identity of Lechmere than the earlier Star Report did. And the only information it contains was that he walked down Bucks Row at approximately 3.40, 3.45 on the morning of the 31st of August. It would not be hard for a guilty man or an innocent man who simply wanted to avoid an inquest appearance to have walked to work by a different route if he was aware of the stories that were circulating. And here I provide a map later showing such routes. It's also claimed that Paul was not found until some time after the second. Some people suggest after the eighth or ninth. We shall look at Paul first. Now, what we've got here is the statement which Paul, Paul gave out at a later date, which he says that after he made his statement to the representatives which appeared in Lloyd's, he was fetched up in the middle of the night by the police and he basically lost three days work. Now, the first thing we need to look at here, what's important is that he says that he's fetched up in the middle of the night. What does the middle of the night mean? Well, he starts work around four in the morning. So we assume he's up by three at the earliest. So middle of the night would be somewhere around midnight, but let's be generous and say anywhere between 10 o'clock p.m. and two o'clock a.m. One of the problems we're trying to assess when Paul could have been found is that many are influenced by inaccurate information that has been in circulation for many years. Much of what is claimed is to a great degree, great degree, based on later comments by Walter Do. Many years after, many years after the event, he claimed in print that the second man, that is Paul, was never located. 
and that the police advertised for him without success. Of course, the first claim is demonstrably wrong and questions Drew's knowledge of the case or his memory. On the latter claim, there appears to be no sources for this other than Drew and Drew himself. Some suggest Paul was not found until after the Chapman murder. This seems to be based on the fact that he worked nearby to Chapman murder site, but this had been public knowledge since Lechmere appeared on the third day of the inquest when he said that Paul turned off at Corbett's place. So why would the police wait so long? One point which we touched on before is the comment made by Robert Paul to Lloyd's Weekly after the first day of the inquest. Now, here's him for. Despite the policeman's assertion that he was first to discover the body, Mr. Paul last night repeated the statement made to our representative on Friday evening that he and another man found the corpse long before the police. He says the policeman he spoke to was not belonging to that beat. Every word he had said was true. It seems very clear that at this point, an unspecified time from late Saturday afternoon onwards, that Robert Paul had yet to be contacted by the police. That now seems fairly clear. Such should not, however, rule out the possibility he was contacted after, given his statement, later that same night. Such would be in keeping with the possibility of his name being published by Lloyds on the Saturday, or they may have been or it may have been provided to the police by the press with his name and possibly his address. How could the police have located Paul if it was before, you know, how could they locate him? There are several possibilities. Firstly, the press may have spoken to the police directly and voluntarily passed on details. However, given this meant sharing a story before publication, I consider this unlikely. The star account, which is obviously garbled and confused, may have originated from an overheard conversation. It's clear that the star account only ran for one or two editions and was then removed. It is possible that the police contacted the star who referred them to Lloyd's. This seems more possible than Lloyd's volunteering the information themselves. Lloyd's had details of Paul's name even if they did not have his address, which they may have done. I'm inclined to believe the police may have used the name in the, in the Lloyds article to trace Paul. He is listed on the 1881 census and the electoral registers for 87 and 88, and incidentally in 89 at 30 Foster Street. He is also listed for several births. And here we see these. So in 81 is on the census in, at 30 Foster Street. In 85, there's a birth and a baptism, 30 Foster Street. In 87, the electoral register, 30 Foster Street. 
87 again, a birth, 30 Foster Street. 88, the electoral register, 30 Foster Street. We will now look at the earliest possible time that Paul could, in theory, have been fetched up. And then finally, we will look at when it's more likely he was fetched up. So this table here is fairly complicated. Uh, it'd be easier if it wasn't on a slideshow because I could actually split um, things up better, but here we go. So the far side here, we've got the events that may have taken place. And then across the board, we have possible yes or no, he could have been fetched up that period. So if we look at the star account printed on the 31st, if no name is provided, there is no way at all he can be contacted or fetched up. If the press do provide a name, then it's possible from the afternoon of the 31st that he could be fetched up. With the reprint, again, it's reprinted on the Saturday morning. So without a name, it's not possible at all he could be fetched up. But with a name provided, he could be fetched up from the Saturday afternoon onwards. We'll go on now and if case Paul's details are included in the third edition of Lloyd's. Now, if no name is provided, then he can't possibly be called up um, before the 1st of September on the Saturday morning. If a name is provided, then I believe it's possible he could be called up on the Saturday morning. But if the press is out there with the remarkable statement in it, then he could be fetched up any time from Saturday afternoon onwards. If we go to the special Sunday edition uh, and no name is provided, the same applies again, but up until Sunday morning. Um, on Sunday morning, he can definitely be called up from Sunday morning onwards. On the first morning and afternoon, if a name is provided by the press overnight, then he could be called up, but otherwise, no. Now the important bit, the bit which actually points us in the right direction. In the special Sunday edition, Paul is quoted as commenting on the Saturday afternoon after the inquest first day has finished. He makes it very clear that he has not been contacted by the police at that point, or at least that's the impression he gives. So where do we go from there? What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that he can't possibly have been contacted until late on the Saturday afternoon. Could well have been contacted Saturday evening, Saturday night, after he had given that statement to Lloyds, but not before then he can be contacted any time onwards. My own personal feeling is that he's probably contacted sometime on the 1st or the 2nd of September, probably early on the 2nd. That's a personal viewpoint. We will now look at whether or not Lechmere was slow in coming forward. It is alleged that by not appearing until the second day of the inquest, Lechmere is a reluctant witness. Of course, he could not be summoned on the Friday as his details had not been taken by Lizzie. 
pro-Lechmere theorist says this backs their claim about the account given by Mizen, that he was told they had been sent by another officer and Mizen assumed this officer had taken such details, Lechmere trying to avoid detection. However, such does not appear particularly strong given that Lechmere actually arrives at the inquest on the 3rd anyway. It could be argued that given Paul did not know Lechmere, Lechmere could have left Paul before they encountered Meisen, either by going south, before or at Baker's Row, going west down Old Montague, before they spoke to Meisen, or by remaining with the body until Paul was out of sight and then just disappearing. It is suggested that if such had happened, it would be suspicious. And so it seems that it is, Lechmere is in a no-win situation for those who believe him guilty. He goes with Paul, he's guilty, he stays and goes away, he's guilty. It is suggested that the police could easily have monitored Buckshrow for him on other days, and indeed they could. All Lechmere needed to do was to use an alternative route to work, of which there were several. It is asked why did Lechmere appear at the inquest on day two, and there are several possibilities. He may have appeared due to a moral duty. People aren't going to like that. There is no record of when he was or when he first contacted the coroner or police. He could have done so on Friday afternoon or evening or Saturday morning and been told to attend the inquest on Monday. Such may explain why he appeared in work's clothes. He may have gone to work first. It is argued that this can't be true because the police do not mention it on Sunday and deny the Lloyd story. But as we have seen, that may not be so. Neil probably denied the star account that he was approached not the Lloyd's account. He came because of guilt over the Lloyd's story. This is the view taken by Lechmere supporters. But as we have seen, the Star report would have provided much the same details in helping to trace him as the Lloyd's account. We will see the, the alternative routes to work were perfectly possible if he wished to avoid detection. He was summoned. But how could he be? His name was not known. Well, you have seen the story of two carmen in Bucks Row was in the public domain on Friday evening and repeated on Saturday. By Sunday morning, possibly Saturday, the name of one of the two, Paul, was also in the public domain, dependent on which edition of Lloyd's it was carried in. So, by Sunday night or Saturday morning, the police would be aware that a carman finding the body used Bucks Row. And it is therefore perfectly possible for the police to have stopped and checked any use in Bucks Row between three and four on Monday or Saturday. Indeed, it could be argued not to do so would be a dereliction of duty. 
It is therefore perfectly possible that Lechmere was located on Monday and summoned to appear that day. While the timing of such is very tight, could he simply have been fitted in in a few hours, the basic idea of being located on his way to work is sound. And here we return to the star story. It is perfectly possible the police were aware of this story and acted not on the Monday morning, but on the Saturday. Such may also account for why the story was withdrawn. It is possible the police asked for it to be withdrawn so that the witness would not avoid the street. To this, we must now also add the possibility that the Lloyd story was published much sooner than originally believed. So let us now have a look at a map and look at possible routes that Lechmere could have taken after any of the press stories if he wanted to avoid walking down Bucks Row. The fact he didn't, I think, is quite telling, but these routes existed. So he could start from his home in Doveton Street, go along the Cambridge Heath Road, go north instead of south, turn into Free Colts Lane, walk all the way along, down into Bishopsgate, down to Broad Street Station and Pickford with the Eldon Street entrance. This is a distance of 3,192 yards. Now, at three and a half miles an hour, which is a speed just above average, uh, but good speed for working on, he could do that in just over 31 minutes. That's slightly longer than other routes he may have taken. Not the longest, but slightly longer than the quickest ones. But it only means he has to leave home two or three minutes earlier than some of the other routes. Five minutes would give him plenty of time to get there. There are alternatives, though. He could turn off at Nottingham Street, go down Buxton Street and Quaker Street, where he could take trips down side roads to Hanbury Street, or more likely, in my opinion, he could carry all the way on down here to Bishopsgate, and then again into Broad Street via Eldon Street. There is another alternative, which includes these side turnings as well, that he carries on down to Hanbury Street and turns off there. I personally think that's unlikely for one reason. If the police were staking out Bucks Row, they may also be staking out the junction of Hanbury and Old Montague, which is where Mizzen says he met them. For similar reasons on proximity, I've also ignored the possibility that he could have walked along Whitechapel Road, but he could have. I think these are very reasonable suggestions for a man who wants to avoid being seen and caught in Bucks Row. The fact that he didn't take these, as far as we know, um, is telling. It is, of course, argued that Lechmere was not questioned by the police, because such is not mentioned in any of the reports. And his name, when included in later police reports, is given as Cross, not Lechmere. And this is different to say Tompkins and Co. And so argues against his being questioned. Quite apart from what appears to be an unrealistic suggestion that while Paul is questioned, which we only know because he tells us himself, there's no record of it, 
And while those living close around the murder site are also questioned, Lechmere is not. I find that unrealistic to put it mildly. There is, however, a major difference when comparing him to the slaughterman. It seems that Lechmere, like Paul, was always regarded as just a witness, whereas Tompkins was looked on as a potential suspect. That's a very different scenario, but of course, that's also an argument that the pro-Lechmere people make that he was never looked at as a suspect. Let's now draw some conclusions. Overall, I have to say, I see little to suggest or support the idea that Lechmere was an overtly reluctant witness. Simply because he appears on the second day of the inquest rather than the first, that does not tell us when he was summoned or when he approached the coroner's officer. The order of witness appearance was entirely in the hands of the coroner. The coroner. He may have decided not to have called somebody until the second day because for various, for various reasons, including perhaps the man did not come forward until too close to the hearing on the Saturday morning. To have been heard on the Saturday, Lechmere would have to have approached the coroner on the Friday after work. That would be asking a lot, I think. That he did not, should not be viewed as, as, as signs of reluctance. Paul is much harder to judge. That he was called up at night does suggest some reluctance, but such depends to a great extent on when it happened and if Paul was keeping a low profile. However, Paul seems to take every chance to hold centre stage, not just in his remarkable statement in Lloyd's where he takes all the credit and takes all the leads, but in the further comments he makes after the inquest's first day on the 1st of September in Lloyd's, and again after the inquest is over, when he tells us that he was fetched up in the middle of the night and complains about losing wages. One final point. What if Jonas Meisen actually knew Charles Allen Lechmere? Thank you for listening.